Hey, thanks for joining us at Connection Point Church. You know, we would love for you to stay connected and a simple way for you to do that is to subscribe so that each week you can get notified when new content goes live. We'd also love to keep in touch with you throughout the week and the best way to do this is through our Connection Point Facebook page. Now with all that being said, let's go to this week's message from one of our guest speakers. Thanks for being here this morning. We are kicking off our missions conference uh, this week, and it'll run through uh, November the 18th with a global prayer event. We'll talk about it again next week as well. To, to take a look at the nations and our opportunity to fulfill the mission of God. We're all invited to it. And if you've been here for the last couple of months, we've been working through a Better Together series and have established, uh, as we've looked at these messages, that we have a king. We live in a kingdom. God's word is our guide, and we have a mission to fulfill. And so today we're going to be talking a bit more about that mission, and we've got a guest, Alan, from Thailand, who's going to help explain that mission and, and do that in a really wonderful way. When I came to Connection Point Church, it was really important to me that our congregation got to hear from uh, three of the best mission thinkers and practitioners in our movement, the Assemblies of God. And, and so we got to hear two years ago from Dick Brogdon, and he came and shared, and, and now we're a part of what's happening uh, with them over in, in uh, the Arab world. And then last year, we got to hear from uh, our friend Ross from the Middle East, and he got to share some incredible stories of what God is doing there. And, and this year, we get Alan Johnson. So those are the three. Um, so you're going to hear some wonderful teaching this morning, both in scripture and in story, of how it is that we're invited to participate in this mission, that the people of God participate in the mission of God. That's what we do. And so what I want to do this morning, uh, before he comes and shares, is share with you a couple of scriptures to provide the backdrop for what he's going to get into this morning. And you should be familiar with these scriptures because we've talked about them. So you saw the vision statement of Connection Point Church leading people to become everyday disciple makers of Jesus. And there's a reason, because we want to fulfill God's big dream. So if you go down this hallway, hallway number two, and some of you are new to the church, and maybe you've not had a chance to walk down that hallway, and my encouragement would be before you leave today, go down that hallway, and you get to see the mission yet to be fulfilled, God's big dream of, of every tongue, tribe, people, and nation, one day around the throne. We get to be a part of that. And so I want to read the scripture that ties into that this morning. So Revelation chapter 5. So if you have your Bible, hey, I hope you've got God's word with you today. We say that because we want you daily in God's word. I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. Uh, we appreciate the fact that God gave his word to us as our guide. So we're going to be in Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. And then I'm going to jump to Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. So Revelation 5 reading verses 9 and 10. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Those are some great verses, folks. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning 
And could you welcome uh, Alan as he comes to share? Thanks, Pastor Zach. Thanks so much, Pastor Zach, for the invitation to spend time with you all and look at God's word around these two texts today. Um, I'm here to highlight the challenge for God's people, the church, for the world that doesn't have access to the gospel. So I, I love your wall of the unreached. Pastor Zach took me out there yesterday just to walk past that. And that you can look at the names of the places, the tribes and tongues of earth that have the least Christians and people present there. But it's still, you know, even knowing this, and, and you know, I was talking to Pastor Zach this morning, I said, should I, should I share some of this stuff? And he said, absolutely, because what I've discovered is it's very hard for us, incredibly difficult for people living in societies where there's many Christians, churches, and public visible expressions of the Christian faiths for us to really get our mind around what it means to be living in one of those societies that are represented on that wall. It's, 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 it's difficult. So where I live, the ethnic tie, 0.3% Christian. You know, like, what does that mean? So look at this second diagram here. The, the, those red places there are what we call tambon or sub-districts. So a guy was doing, you know, some data collection on this, and he was, he was going along, and he was saying all the districts, the umper that had church in the map had a lot of green because there was a church here, a church there. But somebody challenged him and said, well, what about at the village level? So they started to re-crunch the data, and he said he just put his head down on the desk and wept because there are 5,000-plus sub-districts that do not have a single known Christian presence of any size, like three or four or up at all in that country. 62 million people do not live near any form of Christian gathering at all in the country. 95% of them have zero access to that. There are 77,000 villages without a church. So if you're growing up in one of those systems, when are you going to hear the gospel? Now, the people group that I'm currently engaged in spent most of my career working among Buddhists, but there's a significant minority group religious block, well-known in the world, has about close to 7 million people in it, represented by the folks there. And, you know, I've been, I was trying, I'm from Washington State, and so I was traveling last, uh, a while back, and I had to pass through, and, and the church asked me to come. And I was trying to figure out, how do I illustrate what it means to be, you know, a, this people group? And I realized Washington State has close to 7 million people. So I was like, okay, wait a minute. If you Washingtonians, all 7 million of you were this people group, here is what the status of the Christian faith would look like. Okay, imagine this. In your whole state, 7 million people, there would be two house groups functioning that are led by a local believer. Two house groups. Not one single brick and mortar church that there would be a handful of expatriate people, so like Chinese, Korean, Nigerians, are coming to trying to learn your language and don't speak it very well yet. And there would be a few Bible studies led by these cross-culture workers. There are probably some below-the-grid sort of thing that are happening that we don't know about, but the reality would be that most people, when they do come to know Jesus, they would move out of state because the persecution would be so hot. So they would move out so that there's no light left there there would be a total of maybe about 50 Christian workers, and the populace that you're dealing with has been taught 
that the Christian faith is a heresy and that to believe in Jesus is to be damned to go to hell. That would be the entire presence of the Christian faith among that people. So I'm, I thank God for what you're doing here. I thank God for your focus on the wall of the unreached and you want to have, you know, make disciple-making movements. This is a wonderful thing. But today we're going to hone in on these big biblical texts and I'm going to unpack it around two ideas. We're going to look at what we saw God's mission. So mission, the, the idea, sometimes we get very messed up when we talk about mission because we use it in so many different ways. There's secular uses, the mission, you know, I got a mission, I got to go and do this, like a military objective. But really, mission, what I want you to get locked in your mind is that our word mission comes from a root, a Greek, Greek root that became a Latin root, missio, that just means sending. So the whole idea, when we say apostle, it means a sent one, sending, it's sending out. So when we say, talk about God's mission, God's redemptive mission in the world, it is God's turning and sending to the world. Sent Jesus, sent the spirit. He's working in the world to redeem it and reconcile it, not just humans, but the entire cosmos. And he calls a people, the church, the people of God out, and he does what? He sends them into the world. So when we talk about God's mission, it is his redemptive mission for all of his creation, all of the cosmos and humans who he loves. And he raises up a people, calls a people out of darkness into light to do what? To send them into the world to bear witness to that. So once you know this information on that wall and the things that we're going to talk about today, it's a fact that you cannot unknow it. It's like you can't just go, oh, sorry, it's an inconvenient truth that there's all these people out there that, we, that just have no clue about Jesus and they're difficult and far and like Dick Brogdon calls them the inconvenient lost. Tough to get to, tough to stay. There, the, myth, the mythology of this of that, that I you know, grew up with, listening to preachers come, they would talk about all this, you know, the waiting masses and people you know, standing outside building trying to get into revival and stuff. The places we go is you got to learn how to duck. Because there are not masses waiting. There are people who are barriered off in geographic and cultural sorts of things, and they're not looking necessarily for something, and somebody has to go and plant gospel seed. So I want this fact, this reality, to burden us, to weigh upon us, to keep us awake at night, to bring us to our knees. And what I want to try to do today is help by unpacking this a little bit around two, two um, major ideas to move us from just knowing about it to moving to some, towards some action. And so I'm going to frame this. I'm going to frame this in terms of what I'm going to call missional habits. I'm going to suggest today three habits that I want the entire church body, not just the people who you send, not just guys like me, but that all of us will participate in that begin to grow inside of our lives because that is what will help us point the ship in the right direction and move towards actual action locally, across the street, and when we say around the world. So I'm using, and I'm using the idea of habit. I remember years ago, I read that old book. Remember the seven habits of highly effective people, Stephen Covey book? He had a great, in one of his other books, he had a great definition of a habit. I, I loved it. So he said, habits are the intersection of knowing something, valuing it, and having the skill to do it. And he illustrates like this. He says, you know, husbands are supposed to listen to their wives. So let's say you got a couple, they come in for, you know, a counseling session. My husband doesn't listen to me. Now, if the, guy know, if the guy doesn't know he's supposed to listen to his wife, he can't do it. So the first thing, he has to know it. But he can know it, but guess what? If he doesn't value it, he won't do it. I know I'm supposed to listen to my life, I just don't value it. 
So, but if he knows it and he vows it, well, I really, I love my wife. I want to listen to her, but he doesn't have the skill of how to do it. He'll never get there. And so Covey says habits, things that we, that we live out, we just know how to do them. They look easy because they've been ground out and disciplined into our life. So we, you know, it's like muscle memory in golf. You know, this is like spiritual memory. These are ways that we conduct ourselves, knowing, valuing, and the skill sets to do that. And missional here, I'm using missional in the sense there, you know, in the sense of it's something about the ongoing dynamic of God's mission. So it's like pushing us into the dynamic of God sending into the world. And I, wanna, I want these to be framed. It's critical to me that we frame this in terms of the Bible's vision of God's redemptive mission. So in those big texts that we read about his work among all the diversity of humanity, the identity of God's people, because notice that they are called out, it says, there in those verses that we read in, in chapter 5, it says that we are a kingdom and priests. So there's, so there's a special identity given to God's people. They're called out of the world. They're a holy people unto him. And they have a priestly mediatorial relationship to the world. They mediate between the living God and a world that doesn't know him. So there's a special identity. And the apostolic practices of his people is sent out to bring light into very dark places. Because mission is not a free-for-all. I, I, as I you know, run into American pastors, I haven't been around American pastors a lot, but I've discovered it, there's so many voices that are challenging. And one of the, one of the big voices is, this, is what I call mission as mission through project. It's okay, we do this project, we do that project, we do this discrete kind of thing. Because it, it touches our sense of tangibility, like we've done X thing. But today I want us to look at the Bible's vision of mission God sending to the peoples, to the tribes, to the tongues, the nations, the languages. And so that we hear that clearly. So when I talk to students, when I talk to pastors, I always say, back to the Bible. Be driven by the Bible. We've got to be driven by the scripture. We have to let the lion out of the cage and hear God's voice clearly from these texts. And that's why we're going to expand to this today. So here's what I want to do from the text we read, Revelation 5 and in chapter 7. I want, us to help, I want to help us think about our corporate alignment as Connection Point Church with the, and obedience to God's redemptive purpose. So it's our alignments to and obedience to God's redemptive purpose from these texts. So we're looking at this and saying, okay, the, what is the ultimate end of God's redemptive purpose revealed in these texts? Where does it go? And that that ultimate direction, so that every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation, all the diversity of humanity knows and loves God, glorifies him, honors him, hallows him, hails him, worships him. That that is what pushes us and should inform then, that end should inform what we do now. So it's, if, if that's where God's heading, then what is the church? What is connection point? What are we going to do corporately? Where do we head? How do we do this? And I'm going to unpack that in, in, two, in two things. Where I'm gonna, We're going to look at, first of all, that the ultimate end tells us what we should be doing and among whom we should be doing it. So that's the two parts that we're going to look at. The ultimate end of God's redemptive mission says, okay, what is it we're supposed to be at? What do we major in? And then among whom do we do that? activity. So what we do 
among whom we do it, how we do it, needs to flow from that final trajectory of God's mission, his great redemptive purpose. All right, so the ultimate end, first thing, the ultimate end is going to tell us about what we should be doing. So in the book of Revelation, structurally, there are these kind of interlude sections between those, you know, uh, series of judgments. So you have seals and bowls and, you know, trumpets and all like that. And there's these moments where it kind of zooms out and gets another picture. And so one of those things that happens is where we, we see that the Lamb's army. So we talk, he talks about the 144,000, the, the Lamb's army there. And what we would discover, when you read the book of Revelation closely, you discover that the Lamb's army does not conquer through military might. So the slain lamb conquers through his death. And what happens is, is that the lamb's army bears witness unto death to the tribes and tongues and peoples and nations. Now, one writer says that, you know, Revelation just knows, like the, the writer just knew absolute. So it was like absolute judgment, absolute salvation. All Christian witness bore was witness unto death. So just like the whole framing was this absolutism. And so, so the Lamb's army doesn't win by, it's not by some kind of earthly power, it's by bearing witness. They love not their lives unto death. They lift up the name of Jesus. Now, we're not, we're not accustomed to reading the Bible in terms of human diversity in God's plan. There's a, there's a book I love, a guy named Chris Wright wrote a cool book called The Mission of God. And he, he has a great line. He talks about how the Bibles appear, uh, the, uh, the, the nations appear earlier in the chapters of Genesis. And he says this, this is a quote from him. He said, the conflict of nations, because you see that happening early on, mirrors the brokenness of humanity as a whole. But with deliberate intent, the final book of the Bible shows the climax of God's redemptive work. The nations purged of sin, walking in the light of God, bringing their wealth and splendor into the city of God. That's Revelation 21. And then this is what he says. The brokenness of humanity is healed at the river and the tree of life. And between these two great scenes in Genesis, the beginning and Revelation, the primal beginning and the ultimate state of the nations, the Bible records the story of how that cosmic transformation will have been accomplished. It is the mission of God. Between Genesis 11 and Revelation 22, it shows the outworking of God's redemptive plan. And guess what? We are a part of his work in the world. That's why it's so important that it says that you ransomed people and made them what? A kingdom and priests. In Revelation chapter one of that intro, he said, Jesus redeemed us by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests unto our God. It's setting, the authors are reminding us that they're picking up the language of the people of God from Exodus 19 and Peter echoes it in chapter two. And again, here we see it in Revelation that God calls a people out unto himself and that they have a role in the world. And this is, this is so very different from the normal standpoint where we should come to faith. And I was just telling Pastor Zach, I sat on the plane, I was flying into Indianapolis the other night, and this was the classic sort of example of this. I'm sitting next to a guy, and he asked me what I, you know, what I do, and so I told him I was stuck out of Thailand, not because, back in Thailand because of COVID, and he says, what do you do? And so we started talking about this. He asked very perceptive questions, so I figured this guy has a church background. So later on, 
Later on, he said, yeah, I, I was raised in church, then left, and now, and now I've come back and later in my life, you know, second marriage, and I'm in a men's group. I go to church regularly. And, and he was listening to all the kind of stuff I was doing and, and relating to, you know, putting back in the organization, helping to train, pass the baton on to younger generation of workers and all. And he made this really interesting comment. He looks at me and he says, he says, I, I have never given anything back to the church. And by implication, by to, to Jesus. He said, I go to church to get something. Like I go to Bible study because I want, what, what is here for me? And so, so his standpoint correctly was that God does want to do things in our life. God, blessing is part of what God does when he be, we become his people. He blesses us. He gives to us. But to just leave it there is to miss the big point of what it's about because we are ransomed, brought out of darkness into light so that we are become the church, the people of God become the instrument that God uses to go into the world to tell the story of what he has done in Jesus Christ. Now let's map a piece of data on top of that. Look at this diagram here. This is from the Joshua Project and they use colors to kind of show where the least people are in uh, at least access to the gospel is in the world. So I like to talk about the red zone. So the red there is the classic unreached people. It's less than 2% of any form of evangelical Christianity and less than 5% of any form of Christian faith. So these are the places, that big chunk of the world is, is, the, is the places that have the least Christians, the least gospel, the least access that's happening. Now, a subset of that is that people recently have crunched the numbers. I was telling pastor about this this morning, then where they, they said, let's look at it, what it looks like when you take one in a thousand. They looked at, let's look at societies, one in where there's one or less Christian per thousand people and discovered that 25% of that wall lives like that. Less than one in a thousand. Christian demographers are telling us that in that red zone, that eight, roughly 86% of the people do not personally know a single Christian. So what does this mean? If the, the ultimate trajectory of God's redemptive plan is the people's tribes and tongues coming to faith, then what's our priority? As, the, as God's king, people, his holy nation, a kingdom who have a priestly mediatorial role in the world, what is our priority? It must be bearing witness to what God has done in Christ among all peoples. So a local church connection point has to wrestle with what will be our response to bearing witness to those who do not have access to the gospel. So I want to tease this out and try, and this is where I'm going to start laying out some missional habits. I want to get very, try to get very practical on what does this mean? How do we start to grapple with this, this big thing? Like how do we get, you know, people out to the peoples that are on the wall of the unreached? I mean, what's the processes by which it's not just not having I mean, magic, like we wave a wand and suddenly this goes. So the first, the first thing is this. I need you to send the people that will become the first Christian someone ever meets. And I, and I need you not only to send them, but I need you to have the stomach to bear up that will legitimate them to do the kind of work that needs to be done. This picture on here is uh, one of our team members with a, a friend. And I just use this as an illustration because to me, this is what it's about, is, is getting people on the ground who are that first Christian that someone meets. So Nina is, 
with someone and they had taken her, I can't, I'm not, I wasn't even sure, I wasn't there at the time. One of her friends took her to like a preschool or something. She runs in this lady. And so, you know, they're talking and they get to know each other a little bit. They're chatting. And Nina just flicks out her phone and shows her a picture of her daughter. who was a little, you know, like three years old at the time. And she, she shows that to this lady. And immediately the lady starts weeping. And she says, my little girl would have been that age. And, and so here's this divine moment. This is why you have to have people on the ground in the moment that the Spirit of God can use. Nina's heart just broke, her motherly heart broke. And she wraps her arms just around this woman and she, that lady just sobbed. They just sobbed together. And Nina said it felt like the Spirit of God just knit something together in their hearts. And so she found her on Facebook. They started, you know, connecting. They, Nina got back out to Thailand with her husband, career workers there now, and they started connecting. And, and the story came out. This lady, this lady was pregnant and had, a, and had one kid and was pregnant with a second, and her husband beat her so bad he killed the baby. So her husband, who's of this background, is now in jail, and she lost her, and that's what she was weeping about. My little girl would have been that age. And, and so she calls Nina her sister. Nina's talked to her, shared with her. She's received healing. They talk about Jesus all the time. But here's the deal. She's not, she's not shifted yet. She's not made a change. There's this ongoing, years-long relationship. But that lady, how would that lady have ever heard the gospel without Nina? And so what I'm, what I'm, what I, I share this story because what I, churches need to have the courage to legitimate people to do that hard, backbreaking, labor-intensive kind of relational work without pushing metrics that are based on numbers. Success among the, uh, the wall of the unreached peoples cannot be based in numbers and measurables where we just say, how, you know, how many of you got? What are you doing here? It's about building relationships and building the capacity to bear witness in that language and culture. Like right now, so I've got this couple here. I've got another young lady and another single lady just joined her living in, a, in an area with this people group up in northeastern Bangkok. These guys are down south. I got another couple preparing in the States to get back. They're just kind of stuck waiting on COVID once their funds are raised. And what we need, we need our people to do the hardest thing they will ever do. To tackle this group, we got two languages, very difficult languages that have to, be, have to be learned. We've got complex relationships with the existing church and this people group and other things. This is difficult, difficult work. We have nobody on the radar to sign on. People come, they come and go, they come and go. Because people want to do forays, they don't want to just grit it out. I am praying today. I mean, I've been praying. I've been sitting here in your church just praying. Say, Jesus, speak to somebody today. Let him hear your voice. Call somebody out to do hard stuff. There's other groups that are waiting. There's people who are waiting to have members join them to do work that will cost us everything and, and that will require something of us. But it, the Spirit is calling people to do that. And so by you sending them, by saying, hey, th- this is what we want you to do. We're not going to be bugging you about it. Tell me how many things you built and how many things you passed out and how many you know, souls were saved. We're going to be legitimating you to go, blessing you, praying for you, saying, Lord, send them forth and use them to do hard things. I need you to do that. Now, the second thing is, is that I need you to be the church that will grow the people, 
that can be the first Christian people ever meet. So not only are you going to participate in sending folks, but you're going to be, you are the seedbed right now where you're growing, where people, you are influencing people who are going to be that first Christian. So it seems counterintuitive. People always ask me, well, Alan, what can we do to help you? It seems counterintuitive, but the best way to touch the world is to be a red hot church ready to tell the story of Jesus in your own society. Local churches are that seedbed. So the best way that we can prepare new workers, like the little tykes that are running around in children's church right now, some of those could join my team members years down the line because they're, being, they're imbibing here. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to tell the story? They grow up learning how to be, talk about Jesus early, Jesus often, and to bear witness to him. You know, this, this for me, people say, Alan, why do you make such a big deal of this? You're always like on fire about, get out and tell people about Jesus. Well, it's because I, I have some personal experience. So in addition to my own reading of scripture and being moved by the spirit there, but I, I came to the realization of something post my conversion that was, it was really very moving to me and it holds my personal feet to the fire. So I came to Christ in a very weird way in the, my junior year of high school. And I had moved, I lived in one place for 15 years, my folks moved from the north end of Seattle area and I moved down to another town just south of Seattle. And to my, so in my thinking, I had not met a real Christian. I knew some religious people and stuff, but I thought all, I had kind of concluded by the time I was, you know, seventh grade that all you people were nuts. You were idiots. I just, I just didn't like you. And I, so I wasn't raised in a you know, religious home, and I just thought religious people, people went to church, were weirdos. Uh, so I, I end up coming to faith. I'm reading the Bible. There is a kind of process thing. And the, there were people around me, turned out, were Christians, but they, they were, you know, I call them CIA. They were kind of like undercover. And they didn't really know how to talk to me, so they gave me some Christian tracks. At least they gave me some Christian tracks, so it was added to my reading. And I, I, I came to faith, and then I ended up going to church with some of them. So they were around, but they couldn't articulate. But I thought I had never met where I previously lived for 15 years. And what ends up happening is, is over my adult life, I felt a call of vocational ministry. I'm in Bible school. I start meeting people that I grew up with, and I went in that school system, public school system for those 15 years. Now, here was what really got upon me, was, you know, I knew there were church buildings and other stuff up there. I mean, you're, you're growing up and you see names of stuff, I didn't know what it meant, you know, church of this, church of that. But the people I was meeting were now of my own tribe, my own Pentecostal tribe. So I wasn't meeting, you know, people from other groups. I was like, this is my own tribe. So like I, I remember meeting a guy, you know, and I hugged him and said, man, I, how'd you get saved? He's like, oh, I was, I've been a Christian like all my life. I just, and I said, but you, dude, we like lockered together when we played football or sophomore year. And he says, I was going through a cold period. And I was like, yeah, in my mind, I'm going, I was going, you know, I was about ready to have a hot period because you were having a cold period, dude. Like we, I mean, I was lost and you never said anything. Then I find out I was in a deacon's car. I used to take his son and me home after basketball practice. Not a single word. Then what really smoked me was to find out, because by then my father had, 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 he died very young of a heart attack, not a believer. And I discovered that he was an auto mechanic and he fixed you know, cars at home at night too. So worked in mechanics during the day and fixed cars. I found out one of the neighbors that was right near us was a prominent Assembly of God lay person. 
in my garage, of my dad's garage, never said a word about Jesus. And then when I started, I didn't really figure this one out until I was deputating. I'm like trying to figure out, you know, I'm visiting churches in the area and I'm looking at the address and I start realizing, man, that's like right down from where I grew up. So here was this cool assembly of God, Pentecostal, speaking in tongues, prophesying, doing all the good stuff for years, decades. We lived there for 15 years. So I actually went to my mother on that one. I said, mom, did anybody ever in those 15 years ever you know, stop by, knock on the door, say, hey, saw some bikes here, got kids, we got a, children, anything, zero. And it just, it, it just weighed heavily on me. It weighed heavily on me. Is that we can do everything right and be inside these four walls and completely miss that there's people sitting outside, sometimes within a 10-minute walk away, just waiting for someone to come. But there's a gap between, I mean, we weren't like your, we weren't like your A-list sort of people you wanted in church. You know, my dad, you know, a dr drinker, camper, and a can of beer, you know, foul language, rascally little kids like we were, foul mouth, you know. I mean, we weren't your A-list sort of people. But there's this gulf between faith and no faith. And so the missional habit of being able to bear witness, to learn how to move from faith, to where there is no faith, to cross that even now. That is the thing that will create the spiritual environment that will raise up the kind of people that can be that first Christian. So the missional habit of sending, these are, the, these are works of the Spirit. It's the Spirit that leads us to move us past ourselves, to move us past wanting to receive, like say, okay, what is it that we're, what is it that we're you know, looking for here that we need inside of our, inside of our lives? So that missional habit of, of, of that sending is that releasing of the resources and the things that we have. It's like, it's like where we, everything in the, in the things that they sing to Jesus, they're like singing to Jesus, like honor, blessing, glory. Well, we, these are, we're giving ourselves back to Jesus. So here's your homework. These things start, this is the work that starts in the heart. So as you unplug, put it down, turn it off, get quiet, listen and ask Jesus to speak. You know, just, slow down and start listening, listening to the voice of Jesus. Quiet things down. And then the other thing is on, on bearing witness is like you start with praying for your social network. You have natural networks of relationship. Start just praying for them. Say, Jesus, how can I, how can I begin to talk? How can I communicate with these people? If you know somebody, start, get, write them down. Start praying with them. Start prayer walking your neighborhood. Trying, trying to exude that relationship with Jesus. So practice sharing that. I, I tell people in town, we call it like give one night a week to God. I feel like there's a structural thing. I've noticed with the Thai people because in the big city is really busy. The structural thing is like, okay, hey, we got to have a structure. If we just have a time period where we unplug and say, hey, we're, as a family or whatever, we're going to get out and go out and like see people, find people, go out and touch base. These are the kinds of things that will create missional habits. So the second thing is, so the first thing is, like, the ultimate end tells us what we should be doing. The second thing, the ultimate end tells us among whom that we should be bearing witness. So there's a really critical logic here. So if the scripture tells us that all the human diversity is going to be rep represented in the new paradise, then what's the role of God's people? It means we have to go to that diversity. But that really challenges these conventional ideas about 
about global mission, particularly mission through project. Mission through projects is like we've accomplished our, our, our job and we rejoice when the task is done. So if we've given this much or built that thing, we're done. But mission to peoples that is in these texts is not satisfied till everyone has access to the gospel. So the, the scriptures challenge our conventional wisdom that's like, okay, wait a minute, we have to find a way to get to all the peoples. Now the Bible itself, one scholar that I really have read, I really like, he, he says, he said, the Bible invites us to read it in a certain way. So it, 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 it looks, it has this relationship between the universal, like God's rule among the nations, but then the particular, like Israel and the church and us. And there's, this, there's, this, there's this constant this movement. So he says, mission is the sending from one per human person with Jesus on earth into all the world as his witness. And it takes place from the particular of God's story in Jesus here, and it moves towards universal salvation. And then it's like when, when one particular people, us, go from here to there in the world, we do it for the sake of all people. So there's this, there's this movement in time, in space, and socially, we're always moving, always inviting new people to come. So what, you know, what, is this, what does this mean for us? We need to have our eyes opened to God's intention and the realities of our world because our natural inclination is to see people like ourselves. So the, the Bible's end trajectory challenges us to say, Lord, this is the missional habit of seeing. We have to have the missional habit of sending, releasing and getting people out, the missional habit of bearing witness, creating the spiritual environment for those who we will send. And we have the missional habit of seeing, being able to see others. Lord, open our eyes so that we can see the diversity of people around us. Now, I used to think, you know, when I, I, I early on was reading about the people who came up with this idea of there being unreached peoples, at least gospel access people, and, and uh, they, they initially coined this as hidden people. The guy was trying to say, look, these people are sort of off the church's radar. I thought it was a metaphor, and then I had an experience about a decade ago that, that made me realize it goes much, much deeper than that. I got asked to share three Wednesday nights in a row at a, a large church up in the Northwest in the area I was living. And so I, was, I had a group of people, it was probably like 10 to 15 people, mostly a little bit older. Um, some of them knew me before I had gone to Thailand a bit. So I'm sharing about this and I'm talking about trying to get this picture of people who have the gospel, people who don't have it. I'm drawn on a board and everything. But in the back of my mind, I'm going, man, these guys need something local. They need to grip this locally. You know, they need to see this. And so it just popped into my head that kitty corner from their giant parking lot on a major highway, in a big four-lane highway, was a park. And in the park, there was a soccer field, a basketball place, and then like a softball, baseball place out there. And I had driven to church at least one time, and I'd been coming down that road, and I saw a bunch of people all dressed in white, you know, dark skin, beards, some had turbans, kind of hanging out, and, uh, and, and they were chasing, they had flat bats and chasing little blue balls around, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, there's guys, South Asians playing cricket, they're here with Amazon and Google and stuff, and so South Asians um, from unreached places, people that don't have a lot of gospel access, and so my mission mind goes like this, oh, well, you've got, here you've got people, right, Several thousand worshiping over here and across the street, you got people who have no access to the gospel where they live. Wouldn't it be cool if we kind of hived off some folks to talk to them, right? So my mission brain sort of logged that in. So this, this picture comes to me. And so I asked the class, I said, I said, hey, what sports have you ever seen over there? So I'm trying to tease it out. And they said, soccer, basketball, baseball. So I said, no, think a little deeper, soccer, basketball, baseball. 
So I was like, no, 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 really, you need to think about this. Like, surely there's other things happening. Soccer, basketball, baseball, they were just like completely resistant. And so I'm telling a story myself. I lost my temper. There's a, I was a wood desk here like that, and I banged it. I went, that's why Ralph Winter called them hidden people. Because they're just background noise to you. You have become blind. You can't even see that there are people of color and diff- doing different things out there and you, because you've literally become blind to even see them. So, of course, they kind of went like this, and I realized my error of my ways right off the bat. They're thinking, wow, that, that guy needs a hormone shot or something. He's like wild, you know what I mean? He's like pretty crazy. So, you know, I dismiss him. Come back next week <laughs> after I fire on him like that, you know? Um, but I felt really bad, so I'm walking out, and I, and I caught a guy who lived in a trailer park across, he was a janitor at the church, right directly across the park, right? So I said, what sports have you ever seen? Lived there for you know, over a decade. Same thing, soccer, basketball, baseball. So now I'm a whole man, I'm hallucinating unreached people. You know, my mind is gone. Like, I'm thinking, I'm thinking too much about this. So I call my wife, I said, put your sister on the phone, because she lives in the community, drives down that road. I said, Joyce, have you ever seen people playing cricket in that field. She goes, oh yeah, I've seen them a lot of times. I was like, oh, thank God, I'm not hallucinating. So, by, I, and this was unplanned. I had a, a, a lunch plan with the pastor, a guy I've known for 30 years, helped him come to faith. The next day, so we're driving out the next day, going past that, and I said, hey, funny story. I tell him what happened, and I said, what sports have you ever seen here? And he said, soccer, basketball, and baseball. I said, really? You've never seen South Asians here? He said, no. But he said, that's not our target. And I was oh, I just lost my temper again. I said, target smart. I mean, these are people God loves. Wait, you don't have the right to pick your target, man. So, I mean, we argued for a couple hours in the car, driving around, doing stuff. And I was like, man, we, we have got to learn to be able to see other people. The missional habit of seeing other people, again, is formed in prayer. It's like, wait, saying, Jesus, open my eyes so that I can see. Lord, help us. The people of God participate in the mission, the sending of God into the world. And everyone participates. It's not, it's not the domain of a select few, the A team, the B team. Everybody participates. So I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to say, Lord, help us to get into that prayer closet, to wait in your presence, to build these missional disciplines, not just for individuals who are going to go or the leadership, for everyone that we have that release to be able to send people generously and to legitimate them, to be able to begin to bear witness in our, in our corner of the world that we become examples and build the environment here in this fellowship. And then we have the discipline from the Spirit to see people who are different than us, who are needing to hear the gospel. Lord, in Jesus' name, thank you for this church. Thank you for Pastor Zach, Lord, and the wall of the unreached and the vision to take the gospel to the world, Lord. Pour out of your spirit. Let the wind of the spirit blow across us. Shape us, Lord, around these missional habits of sending, Lord, and of bearing witness in our personal networks, Lord. And God, give us the gift. Grant us to open eyes that we can see, Lord, people that are different from us. Those who need to hear the story of Jesus. Open our hearts. Lord, the risen Christ that we see in the book of Revelation, whose eyes are like a flame of fire. Lord, burn through us today. Whose voice is like the roar of many waters. Lord, let your deafening roar be the voice that we hear, Lord. Knock out all the other voices and we can hear your voice today, Lord. 
We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we thank Alan for coming to share? One of the things we'd like to do in closing, uh, we'll close in song, but we'd like to encourage you to be a part of seeing the kingdom advance in Thailand. So we're going to take up an offering. So again, you can continue to give online or you can use the, the offering boxes in the back. If you give online, we have a drop-down menu for guest speaker. So if you use that, all of those gifts will go to the planting of a church in Thailand in a part of the, that region where no church exists. How many think we should be a part of that, right? Let's be a part of changing a red region to a green region, right? That's what we should be doing. So I invite you to give to be a part of that. If you give in the offering envelopes, you can just write in Thailand or guest speaker. And, and again, all those go to help us see and get behind a church in Thailand. So we, we're a part of a church in Saudi Arabia. We're a part of a church in Iraq. How about we get to be a part of a church in Thailand? That's awesome. So let's do that today. So I'm going to invite you to stand as we close in song. And what an awesome opportunity we have. Isn't it amazing here in West Lafayette, Indiana, we get to be a part of advancing the globe in places like Thailand, advancing the kingdom in places like Thailand. It's just, I will never cease to be amazed by that opportunity the Lord gives us. So God, we just thank you for all that you are doing around the world and raising up people like Alan and others that he gets to, to continue to pour into, to advance your kingdom. God, I pray that we, we are a part God, I pray that you'd impress it upon everyone here today that the people of God participate in the mission of God. It's just what we do. And so God, help us all be a part in some way. Help us be a part of this church in Thailand. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.